0: Um, Thank you all for coming. Um, We're holding this lecture to mark UK Interfaith Week. Um, My name's Abigail Smith. I'm representing Laurie Houlihan, who's a vice provost here, but she's also UCL's interfaith champion. Um, She can't be with us because she's not very well at the moment, but she's with us in spirit and she's very happy we're holding this lecture. Um, She's a big proponent of... Uh, raising the profile of faith at UCL and making people realise we're not godless of Gower Street after all. Um, And if you want to find anything out about the interfaith work that we're doing, please grab me afterwards and I can give you some details. Um, So our speaker today is um, uh, someone who uh, just recently completed a PhD at UCL in architectural design Yeah, architectural design. Um, So we're very happy that she's come back to talk about one of the projects that she was working on while she was here. Um, It's part of Making Suburban Faith, which is a joint project between UCL and Royal Holloway, um, looking at how faith communities in London create spaces for for their faith. Um, And, oh, I haven't even said your name. I'm rubbish at this. Um, Dr. Katie Baynart, our lovely speaker, was working on a a project called um, The Fabric of Faith, which looks at um, creativity within faith and the role of fabrics. Um, So having made a terrible hash of the introduction, I will hand over immediately to Dr. Katie Baynard.
1: Thank you, thanks. Um, That was absolutely perfect. Um, I would just say to clarify that the project that I'm talking about today wasn't actually part of my PhD, but I met Claire Dwyer through working at um, at UCL on my PhD. Um, And so in this talk, I'm going to introduce what Making Suburban Faith was about and describe how a focus on textiles in faith communities led to a creative project with women from different faith backgrounds in Ealing, West London. So... um, The title of the talk my life is better weaving is the name that ended up being given to the communal artwork that we made and um, the project as a whole um, was a four-year research project focused on ealing and west london and funded by the ahrc and led by professor claire dwyer and professor david gilbert at royal holloway and the project explores The way in which suburban faith communities create space by focusing on architecture material culture ritual music and performance and it focuses on eight different case studies of different faith communities which were selected to represent different faith and migration traditions as well as different aesthetic and material cultures and as some of you may know very sadly um Uh, Claire passed away earlier this year, um, but in this talk I'm going to draw on some of her research and work she did, as well as my own um, work on the project. So, um, the aims of the overall project were to try to understand how the aesthetics of faith, and particularly migrant faiths, are materialised and negotiated. To understand material cultures, practices and performances of suburban faith to understand how suburban faith communities engage creatively and meaningfully with their suburban locations, and to use creative methods to engage local community and faith groups in partnership with creative practitioners to create new forms of community belonging. The project that I was involved in focused on St. Thomas's Church in Hanwell. This church was designed by the architect Edward Morfe in 1933 who also built Guildford Cathedral and it has an unusual interior. Morph was very precise about wanting to be in control of all the fittings and fixtures in the church right down to the door handles and his wife Prudence Morph, also got involved. She was an interior decorator and designer based at Heels in Tottenham Court Road. So she invited top artists and craftspeople of that time to work on the church, including Vernon Hill, Eric Gill, Kathleen Roberts and Moira Forsyth, and she took an active role in the decorative arts of the church, including the textiles, which were commissioned to match the interior. She later went on to commission textiles and kneelers for Guildford Cathedral, including stitching her own kneeler, which is in the Victoria and Albert Museum. So, when Claire began to research the church and the the religious material culture of the church, she was particularly fascinated by this amazing collection of kneelers, which all sort of um, depicted local landmarks and geographical features of the area, including uh, your London bus there. (laughs) Um, And the kneelers were initiated in the late 70s by Daphne Cornish, a talented embroiderer and a member of the Embroiderers Guild and Claire has written that interviews with those who made the kneelers emphasise the social and communal pleasures of working on the kneelers together and the skills developed and shared in the project and they rework links between the religious and the domestic. While many of the women who, worked, who made them knitted and sewed for their own families, they also made objects to sell at the annual church bazaar and as part of the transnational religious geographies of mission and philanthropy. Claire's work in the archives also uncovered a short pamphlet titled The Working Party, written by Mrs. Beck, the wife of the first vicar. And in it, Mrs. Beck describes the revival of the ladies' working party and her inheritance of a small vicar's sewing machine and a large empty box. The group gathered regularly and produced items to be sold at annual sales of work to raise money for the church and did sewing for the church. And as you can see, there's a quote she said. Um, we loved um, doing the work, but it was not accomplished without trials. How often we got our sleeves into albs or surplices the wrong way round or the neck bands ill-fitting. You see, we were all amateurs, and not one of us had ever attempted such work. So the kneeless became the starting point for a wider investigation into the wealth of religious textiles in the locality. For example, um, this is at the um, Hindu temple. Um, where the dressing of the deity um, every day in a new sari foregrounds textiles as part of an everyday practice. um, And afterwards, the um, saris are donated to be used as devotional objects. So we drew on the idea of the working party and the kind of strength of the local um, area in terms of the diversity of religious textiles to think about the idea for a creative project, which would be both a research tool for the wider Making Suburban Faith project, and also a community project that would bring women in the area together. And Claire invited me to lead a series of workshops, which she would work on alongside me, together with researcher Nazneen Ahmed. Um, So I'm going to just introduce a bit about how I got interested in working in textiles as as part of my art practice. Um, My interest in textiles had emerged from a period of researching and making artworks about my own family history of trade and migration, um, which I'd been doing as part of my PhD. And my interest in faith developed from the remnants of Judaism my father had kept despite having left the faith himself. My great-grandfather had been a tailor, and my great-great-grandfather had been a cloth trader. And on the left is the label of uh, a suit made for my grandfather by my great-grandfather, who emigrated from Russia to England to South Africa um, and set up a a tailoring business. So I was interested in these legacies, these kind of connections. And I started working with embroidery and textiles as a way of exploring these geographical imaginaries. In another work from 2012 called Pattern Language, a lace map is made up from patterns based on stories of migration and family history that I've spoken to others about. And in another work called Strangers in a Strange Land, embroideries of cacti sit alongside more familiar native plants in a collection um, and in this piece, which was an installation in London in 2012, there's an idea of uh, a woman embroidering a distant, faraway landscape, um, something that is kind of turning on the head the idea of um, textiles as placid, gendered and domestic into something more adventurous, but also a referral to perhaps lost and long- loss and longing. So for the project, The Fabric of Faith, I wanted to reference to reflect the diasporic culture of the different community faith textiles in West London and the languages of faith I had seen in different faith spaces. And I thought about the process of making and how it becomes an embodied act, like the act of praying. It is physical and repetitive. Maureen daly Goggin and Beth Folks-Torbin say that Bodily knowledge is as as important, if not more so, than vision and cognitive knowledge in embroidery. The feel of fabric, thread, and needle, as well as the movement of the hand, require a kinetic familiarity. And this is a page from my sketchbook, but I was rereading a book by Tim Ingold called Lines and thinking about connections between thread and trace, text and textile, the movement of the hand and the body as a ritual action. The repetitive acts of making, prayer, drawing, domestic tasks, journeys, words are sometimes practices of meditation or memory, but what kind of knowledge do these practices produce? They point towards a poetics of maintenance care and belief, and belonging practice through repetition. As part of my research for the project, I visited the Victoria and Albert Museum where I saw several pieces that were very um, inf- important to me. These are pilgrims' ribbons, um, a map shawl, and a talismanic shirt. And the talismanic shirt is actually covered with the entire verses from the Quran, and wearing it endows the user with a, a, a power. Um, and it needs to be treated in a very particular way, and later on i 'll talk about how in the project we found that embroidered religious texts might become endowed with power and need to be uh, used in a different way. Um, and so some of these pieces show how textiles religious textiles can form protective shields or hide away private worlds and prayers and also point to geographies of understanding um, so I developed the idea of beginning with prayer as a theme for the project and it has it held a common starting point across the face, connecting the personal and communal. I was also inspired by different artists' work that connected geographies, texts and textile practices, including this work by Alighiero Boetti called Mapper. So Alighiero Boetti visited Afghanistan in 1970 and he commissioned a group of women at an embroidery school in Kabul to embroider a map for him. He went on to do 150 of these. But what's really interesting is that the women aren't really acknowledged as the authors of the piece, he is. But they were highly influential in how each piece turned out. And that was actually part of his intention as well. Because he couldn't speak to them directly, he had to go through someone else. Um, So the texts around the edge of the map were written by the women. And uh, the colours and the kind of geopolitical changes were embroidered by the women. So each map is slightly different. And another example, um, this is work by the Palestinian artist Mona Hatoum, Palestinian born. And this piece on the right was developed with um, Inash, the Association for the Development of Palestinian Camps. And its goal was to preserve the heritage of traditional Palestinian embroidery, as well as to provide financial support for refugees. And it intends to encapsulate the history of Palestine. So each of these embroideries represents a region of Palestine, and they form a, symbolo- a symbolic map through the different traditions of embroidery. And in these works, i um, particularly interested in, in Beryl Coro's work, Babel, which takes um, a, the, te- the Tower of Babel text from Genesis and abstracts it into a code. And she writes um, text textus, and weave, texto share the same Latin root. Text is a tissue or fabric woven of many threads. It is a web, texture, structure, a thought, something that can be built, ravelled and unravelled. Um, and on the left, the piece by Anne Hamilton is a neck collar, where inside, the words are hidden, and on the outside, they're abstracted by their threads spreading out. So these were all kind of influences in thinking about the project. What, what, was, what really changed for me was when I met the group of participants who were going to be involved, because I think what became very evident very quickly was that this was going to be a collaboration where I wasn't in charge. <laughs> um, so uh, in the first workshop that we did, um, I asked them to bring in pieces that they'd made, pieces that were in the attic, pieces that they used every day, pieces of textiles that were special, pieces that were not special, pieces that were religious, pieces that were domestic. And it was amazing to see the kind of wealth of different things that people had done in the past. Many of them talked about having made these pieces as part of their bottom drawer, or that kind of equivalent of, ai a, don't know what the, the equivalent, but they would bring this with them when they got married. And there was a mix of women who came from, um, some of the group came from St. Thomas's Church itself, Some of them came from the Sangam group who met there regularly, who were Sikh and Hindu, um, elderly women. um, As well as from nearby Anglican and Catholic churches, the Ealing Liberal Synagogue and the Sikh Gurdwara. Um, And they came from a hugely diverse range of backgrounds and migration histories, including the Caribbean, Ireland, Zimbabwe, India, Palestine, as well as Kenya. And I have to say that it wasn't our intention that it would be all women, but it kind of worked out that way. (laughs) We weren't uh, excluding men. Um, So in the second workshop, um, uh, we we talked about the words of prayer, and we created a kind of map where they wrote um, words onto the cloth and discussed faith, the meaning of the words and images associated with prayer, and how these intersected across faith, as well as thinking about locality and belonging. And we thought about how to make a communal piece based on this mapping. Um, But in fact, what happened was, as I said, the women in the project were um, very full of their own ideas. And they decided quite often that they would make individual pieces. So as the project evolved, we created one large communal piece and several individual pieces as well. The group contained women of different ages, mainly older, but. There was a mix, and there were very different ranges of um, experience and skill with embroidery. So actually, some people came to the project with no embroidery skills, and others came with really, really developed skills and skills that had been learned in different places. So what happened was an amazing exchange of skills. So there's this kind of sharing of experience and knowledge, um, and a kind of handing down of um, kind of how to do a particular stitch. Um, So for some, it was about remembering techniques that they may have uh, left behind or lost, and for others, it was about learning. But there were challenges as well, because for some of the older women, um, their eyesight was bad. They had arthritis in their hands, and um, it's meant that the designs were more difficult to achieve. But but what happened through the group was that there was a kind of shared um, experience of making where they could express the challenges. Um, and a pride in what they were doing. So the group really quickly bonded over things that were common between them. Even though they came from different religious backgrounds, they found that many of them had um, come to Ealing to work in the NHS, um, and and it turned out that they had things in common. Stories were shared about um, things like parents, children, illness, and the space and the activity of sewing together allowed people to open up about their lives. And I had plenty of advice because I'd recently had a baby about <laughs> how, to <laughs> how to get my baby to sleep, when to feed it, what to do, and what to do to look after it. Um, and Claire wrote about the project that um, it was also not difficult to see the creative workshops as a shared space of feminine sociability. It, this was a complex space of sociability, Within which different norms of gendered social interaction were negotiated. And one of the ways this was negotiated was through the sharing of migration stories and identities. As we sewed, participants told us about um, who had told, taught them to sew and where, and stories of their mothers, aunts, and grandmothers, and their own migrations to England. And the process of making also engaged participants in spiritual reflection. So as they st- told stories of migration and and their upbringing, the role of faith communities was often acknowledged, in particular how faith identities and practices were learned and passed on, even as they'd moved countries and left communities behind. And this was a really important space for the participants, particularly some of them who were suffering at the time from or recovering from serious illnesses. So reflection became very much a part of the, the meeting in the group. The stories repeated during the stitching become objects and motifs or other words in the piece, which stand in for the words of the story. The embroidery contains much more within the stitches than that which you can see. It contains gaps and absences, losses, those sustained through migration, such as the loss of previous generations and cultural traditions. The knot of sewing acts as a memory maker and recorder. The thread both dissolves and defines the surface. It's a form of drawing or writing that allows us to meditate on what lies beneath, as well as what is in plain sight. And the shared space of making and hospitality emphasised connections across faith. And the woman had shared inspiration from their faith. And this is a quote from one of the participants just saying that the, the kind of inspiration she got from others and, and the feeling that because they had the faith in common, that gave them a sense of, um, of something that they had in common, that they belonged to, um, and that was really productive for her. And what came out through the workshops was the importance of relationships to each other, to making... sorry, um, to our material world and home, and the everyday is a creative and sacred space. And this, as mentioned, suggests an idea of making as an ongoing act of creating meaning. And Jane Bennett has written about how a form of enchantment can be reached through the material world. Anna Fisk has also written about how making is an act of re-sacralizing, of creating an enchantment of the everyday. So through the actual stitching, um, there was a different kind of power um, that, that emerged, making these pieces that contained prayer and that they required a kind of different engagement and focus. And um, this is one of the participants saying that she needed to sit with this particular kind of making, this embroidering. Um, well, I'll just read it. This is a more peaceful thing. With this, you need time to stitch, to be calm. You've got to be centred. The other stitching, when my husband's trousers are undone, you just stitch. Okay, here, take this. But with this it was like I sat down properly, made sure my hands were clean. This is sewing with the prayer. So as part of the project, um, we had a PhD student who was also doing a project for making suburban faith called Laura Cooch, and she was brilliant photographer, or is a brilliant photographer, and she made a series of portraits of the participants. And later on, after we'd done the workshops, the researcher, Nazneen Ahmed, interviewed women at their homes. And at home, as she was talking to them, they brought out more examples of things they'd made and their everyday kind of practices of of making. And many of the women said they stored things in the attic and referred to lost and left behind items, and that they referred to the fact that these skills were being lost and that the new generation was less interested in creative making. For me, this related to my own experience of family histories of migration and the way faith and creative making practices were lost or left behind. So in making, there was also a space for remembering and a kind of memory work and this kind of imaginative retelling, casting new light on the lost objects. For example, Arda in this photograph used stitches that she remembered from her childhood growing up in Lebanon. And this is Sharon, and her home contained shrines and deities which she maintained as part of her everyday religious practices. And she also had a collection in the attic of pieces she'd made as a young woman. And in the interview she said, I just felt that after so many years I had done so much embroidery in my life and it was all forgotten because after coming here, although I used the stuff for display, but when I moved to London it wasn't used anymore. And I felt there was something in myself, a pride in embroidery, Why don't I show that one? And then I took it out, and everybody saw them, and it even went on my Facebook. And I got so many comments from everywhere, from India, Canada, and America, when they saw these embroidery table mats. Um, Everybody knew that I did that embroidery thing, but they really made a comment then. They said, oh, that's so beautiful, so nice, after all these years, and your memories come back. And this is Eileen. And she she described how she'd kept her mother's embroidery threads that she'd given her in Jamaica, and when when her mother was, um, I'll just, just quote what she said, I was telling someone that the family cousins took most of our possessions because they didn't want these odds and ends after her mother died. And these are important to me, so I brought them back and kept them all this time. It's horrible, it's rotten now, you pull it hard and it breaks, it's quite old, very old. I wonder how long she had that for. It was good, I sat there and I thought, I'm sharing these. And she brought them to the workshops and we used those threads as part of the project. So after the workshops ended, the idea of the final installation textile piece shifted through a series of stages. From initially from a kind of table setting to become this plinth with a m- mixture of the kneelers and prayer mats from the mosque around it inviting audience to come and kneel to view the work and taking on the embodied practice of prayer across faiths. As well as this, there were individual pieces by the participants, and you can see one of them on the table there. And the title, My Life is But a Weaving, came from one of the prayer poems brought in by one of the participants. So the intention of the exhibition was to bring together both the individual and communal pieces and represent the relationships that were formed through the making of these pieces. The table represents the shared space of the table we worked around and the hospitality that the group provided to one another, whether in cups of tea, emotional support or spiritual support. This is a link between the domestic, everyday realm of making and the enchanted realm it linked to for the participants. The poems and prayers became lines on the map, a geographical emblem of locality, while other pieces became more hidden in the albums and books with the individual pieces. And this, for me, um, represented the intimacy of the space we created in the workshops, where many words were shared together, some private and some public. The lines on the tablecloth, which represent their locality, unraveled onto the floor, suggesting complex links to places elsewhere. As I mentioned, in the collaboration, um, the agency of the participants allowed shifts in my original idea. And um, as as the piece itself became expanded into lots of pieces, um, in the second version, I showed the artwork on the wall. And it it created quite a different image and response. Um, And the individual pieces were displayed on the table, suggesting a kind of um, more everyday domestic reading of them. So in in 2017, we exhibited the work at UCL, and I wanted to add something to the piece. And I was thinking about the gaps and absences in people's lives as they migrated um, and lost or left behind their home and the objects they'd made in the past. When I asked women to bring things in in the first workshop, quite a few of them said, oh, I had this amazing piece, but I left it behind. Or I had this amazing piece, but it's ruined in, in transit. And um, I wanted to represent that loss, so I added a kind of constellation of lost pieces to the cloth. Um, And this this kind of represented the absences, both of lost work, but also the other absences that people had talked about in in the stories they told. And finally, in 2018, the artwork returned to West London and was displayed in the Gunnersbury Park Museum alongside the photographs by Laura Cooch and poems that Nazneen had written based on the workshops. Um, and at, we had a launch which was attended by most of the group, and they were really delighted to see their handiwork celebrated and properly displayed, and to share their work with friends, families and audiences. And I think that what this really highlighted was ha- is how often women's textile handiwork, which, which actually kind of is so important to face spaces, is not acknowledged in the making of these spaces. And this instead celebrates their role as authors of the artwork, It started off with me as the artist, and in the end, it was kind of a group of artists working together. And the project created a communal space of making that built relationships, celebrated creativity, and allowed a space for reflection and devotional practice. As I mentioned, Claire passed away earlier this year. um, But I think that the project, the Fabric of Faith project, and the wider Making Suburban Faith project is a wonderful memorial to her work and to her ability to form collaborations and ideas across faith and space. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, that was great. Um, We've got some time for questions, if anyone has any. Or comments. But you don't have to, it's fine. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Well, thank you. Thank you, Katie. That was really, really interesting and really rich. Um, And thank you all very much for coming. Um, And please do uh, let me know if you're interested in the interfaith work that we're doing. Thank you. Please please thank Katie. Thank Thank you.